This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Dare to Believe in the Man in the Red Suit, and the author is Melissa Larson, and Melissa joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Melissa. Hi. Well, this is a children's book, but it also has a great, great message for adults as well. Uh, I want to read a couple things that you have written about it. You say, this book will open your heart to the true meaning of Christmas and allows you to know the season is really about giving from the heart. And you also say that this is a book you will want to read and bring out each year and share it with your family and friends. You ask the question, are you willing to answer the question Tabby May and the man in the red suit left you with? Do you dare to believe? So this is a Christmas story about the true meaning of Christmas and and, uh, the role that Santa Claus plays in it as well. But tell us why you wrote the book. Well, I wrote the book because... For me, it's not something that is a book. It was a way of life. Every year, my mom um, would bring out the real reason of the of the season. It wasn't just giving and receiving. It's if you were willing to take the opportunity to receive the gift that Jesus represents in December for us, and that's faith, hope, love, joy, peace, comfort, and knowledge. And so we would wrap up presents with all of it, with those meanings inside, and then the children would give them each absent adult, and we would open them up, and then we would tell everyone and Jesus if we were willing to accept these gifts and pass them on through the year. Those are the seven gifts of Christmas, your traditional family Christmas. Yes. Well, tell us about, let's see, her name is... Tabby May. Who is Tabby May? Is she someone uh, that you know? Is she a fictitious character? Is she you as a little girl? No, she's actually real. She's my niece. And she's at that age where, you know, people are starting to say that the man in the red suit doesn't exist and that, you know, things are changing, money's tighter, and what is going to happen to the whole season. And so... Parents have a hard time addressing the situation because nobody really wants to let go of that belief and that feeling that he does exist. You, you just don't want to say he doesn't. So what I did was write it and and give the story that my mom gave me as a child, and that is that the man in the red suit does exist. He exists inside your heart, and that each one of us has the opportunity to don that red suit. And to give and receive and share the the reason of the season. Does Santa Claus's name even appear in the book? He appears as Saint Nick. Saint Nick. Okay. I didn't know if, because you talk about so much the man in the red suit. (laughs) Yeah, my mom kind of, Santa Claus was big, but the man in the red suit was bigger because she said that Santa Claus represents one person, the man in the red suit represents all of us. Well, I like that. I remember my wife telling me when she first discovered that Santa Claus wasn't the, well, the the magic that, that she always thought he was, 
But when her mom told her that really her dad was Santa Claus, that made it just as magical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if, if, if you think about it, Christmas is an opportunity, and we all need to take that opportunity in the lifetime that's given to us. And each year, that lifetime is in December. And I know we get bombarded with people that say, it's not the real day, it's not the real time. But does it really matter, just like your wife found the magic when she found out that it, that it was her dad, does it really matter the, the real day if we're willing just to find the magic and we're willing to share the love? Does the day of the calendar really matter? Now, you wrote this story in 45 minutes. Yes, in a prayer chapel. How did that come about? Well, um, basically, I just I had been Googling on the Internet, and I was looking up Arkansas fairs, and in, in place of fairs came Author House, and so I was curious, and I called them up, and I asked them what they did, and they said they published books, and I was like, Oh, and I really wanted to, them to publish my husband's book because he's a chiropractor and teaches all over the country, and I wanted him to do his textbook. But then the lady said, well, you know, why don't you ever think about writing a book? And I said, well, God would have to talk to me on that one. So I went to the prayer chapel, and I had a book and pen, and it just kind of flew. And it was interesting for me because as I wrote the story, I was like, wow, I wonder what's going to come next. I wonder what's going to come next. And then 45 minutes later, it was written. So it was more like me giving my my heart into the story that really projected my family tradition and my memories, which is really what Christmas is about, family and memories and love. You say Christmas is a time of year to celebrate the miracles which happen each day if only we are open to seeing them. I like that. Yeah, if you really think about it and you really look, you can find five small miracles a day. And ever since I was in my teens and I had a car accident and the prognosis wasn't exactly what a teenager wants to hear, my mom would would make a game out of it for me and we would look for five small miracles. And lo and behold, you would find them. So the miracle of Christmas to you is that each year, as you use these three R's, you renew, you refresh, and you rejoice. Because that's, that's what those, if you have faith, hope, love, joy, peace, and comfort, and knowledge, that's exactly what all of them represent. You get to renew, you get to refresh, and you get to rejuvenate it. And you can go back out there and have the struggles of this world. But why give up the one opportunity where all of us can put all of everything that we've been through, through the year aside, and we can, we can all get together and exchange those gifts and get rejuvenated. Why would we not want to, considering that we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring? And the book has some beautiful illustrations. It does, and and that is one of the coolest things, I think, about the book, and the amazing and the most humbling part, is I've never actually met the illustrator. And he did a fabulous job making Tabby Mae and all the gifts of Christmas, and Having Santa in front of the major, in front of the baby Jesus saying his prayer is just, it's amazing and humbling. It's beautiful. All of them are beautiful. They represent the story so well. It was one thing to write it, but it was another thing to see the illustrations bring it to life. And I find him to be amazing. Now in the story, Tabby May is visited by a beautiful angel. Tell us about that. 
Well, before Terry Mae goes to bed, she notices the stress that her mom's been under because she's been wondering if there's Santa Claus. And her mom keeps avoiding the question. So Terry Mae kneels before her bed and she asks God, um, you know, May, what, may this Christmas be wonderful no matter what. I'm sorry if, if I ask questions about the man in the red suit. And so when she's asleep, she gets a, a, a kiss on the cheek and she wakes up to this beautiful angel and then the angel is standing before her and she teaches Tabby Mae to touch her heart and bring out those memories. And one by one as Tabby Mae visits the memories of her Christmases in the past and the Christmases in the future, then lo and behold, she sees Santa. She sees the man in the red suit because that's part of her memories. And then she tells the angel, she says, look, I see the man. He's kneeling in front of a baby and, he, and, and a mommy and a daddy. And the angel says, well, what's he saying? And then Tabby Mae um, recites the prayer that the Santa is saying to the baby. That particular prayer is the one part of the book that I have to tell you that I have yet to see a person either get extremely quiet or have a tear in their eyes because I think all of us could say that from time to time. Why are traditions so important around Christmas time? Traditions are important around Christmas time because they're the foundation of memory. And it's not really the traditions as much as memories. I don't care what your situation is, life is. If your memories are what sustain you and everything else can come and go, you can have the world's worst or you can have the world's best. But the best time will sustain you through the other. Well, especially in these uncertain economic times, it really, as you're trying to explain to all of us, what the man in the red suit may bring really doesn't add up to what the red, what the man in the red suit is really all about. Yeah, because in the book, is, is if you read the prayer, he, he says, Father, forgive me, for I donned this red suit. Not, not to give expensive presents or give toys. I, I donned it to give the gifts that you give us each year and, and have those that want it to receive it and then give it to others so that they can receive it. Melissa, do you have any other closing thoughts about your book? I would just, on closing, say that this book has been an amazing, emotional, wonderful Thing that came about in God's timing and whoever reaches it, I pray that God will touch their hearts and open up their minds and that they will too begin to believe in a world where so many of us are giving up our beliefs and using the excuse that times are hard. Times have been hard through all generations and not all time zones. So it's up to us to maintain the real meaning of why we're here, and that's to love one another and to give each other those gifts. Tell us how to get Dare to Believe in the Man in the Red Suit. It is available through barnesandnobles.com, amazon.com, authorhouse.com, and they can visit me on my website, dareyoutobelieve.com, and daretobelieve.com will have the Christmas book, and then it will also feature the rest of the series as they get written. Oh, a series. So what does that mean? A series of Dare to Believe books are going to come out to where it's going to be written for a child, but it'll be for all of the child within us, too, on subjects that maybe we're not so comfortable with addressing with ourselves while on with a child. Well, we appreciate you being on Author Talk, Melissa. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity.
and may everybody have a wonderful Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas to you. That was Thanks. Melissa Larson. She is the author of her children's book, Dare to Believe in the Man in the Red Suit. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. Sending a heartfelt message is one of the best ways to touch someone, to touch the heart. But it's easy to forget birthdays, anniversaries, and other special occasions. Imagine how many lives you would touch if it was easy to send those heartfelt messages. Send Out Cards provides a way for you to send a personalized greeting card to a friend, loved one, or business associate in less than 60 seconds from the convenience of your computer. You can even add a gift or gift card. Send Out Cards is about helping people reach out to those around them. It's amazing what a simple message can do. Send Out Cards helps you act on your promptings to reach out and change lives. Show host Michelle Bateman has learned through personal experience what it means to be an eagle by always working to be your best self. Please join our conversation on Send Out Cards Radio with Michelle Bateman to learn what it means to be an eagle on toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Shepherd's Guide Through the Valley of Debt and Financial Change, a comprehensive manual for financial management, counseling, and spiritual guidance. And the author, Reverend Dr. Flora Williams, who is internationally known in academic circles and in training of financial planners. Hello, Dr. Williams. Hello. Good to have you with us. I want to read your introduction, and then we'd like to find out about your background, and also why you wrote the book. So here, here's how you wrote your introduction to a friend in a sentence or two. The Shepherd's Guide is a comprehensive training manual for professionals and volunteers who want to improve excellence and expertise in assisting people on, in all areas of financial management. It is unique by being comprehensive in counseling theories and techniques to assist in changing financial behavior and in spiritual guidance related to economic theology. Now, obviously, it's very comprehensive, as you said, and we'll get into some of the details. But first of all, Dr. Williams, give us a little of your background and then why you wrote this book. I was a professor at Purdue University for 32 years doing teaching and research on these issues that... uh, individuals and families face, and I had a clinic for 25 years, and I I found that people are ill-informed and confused, and that the professionals that are uh, assisting people in maybe one area of their lives are ill-equipped to address some of the current issues that are facing families today. 
And so a great need to get to the bottom line, I guess, so to speak, to really help people uh, because so many of the books that are written today don't really go into the actual tools that you need. Right, and this book also addresses the underlying causes and orientation and not just treating the symptoms. I find it interesting that you put in your beginning of your book about Jesus' teachings. You say there are 2,172 references in the Bible to money and possessions three times more than love, seven times more than prayer, and eight times more than belief. So certainly the use of money was a very focal point of Jesus' teachings. Right. However, the pastors, priests, rabbis, uh, church leaders, Christian educators, Christian counselors do not know how to talk about money. They, they do not know how to use these um, ideas uh, of Jesus. And this book will not only help them in one-to-one counseling, but give ideas for sermons or, or for study groups and fulfilling um, a foundation that is, that is sound and, and scriptural. So you're providing practical steps, very down-to-earth practical steps that anyone could understand. Yes, there's, there's, it's technical, and there's forms that they can use, and there are... Uh, concrete ways that they can talk to their family members about money, and there's ways that they I can talk with financial planners. Um, so it, it equips them uh, to go beyond what, what is currently available in, in other books. Why do you think that these kinds of counselors fail to address the, the deep needs that people have and helping them to really get in charge of their financial lives? There are several reasons. Um, they have so many areas to address in life that they they think that they they cannot uh, maybe learn some new things at this time. So the book it precisely and clearly gives them some tools. Uh, also, they say, well, there's some books out there they can read on personal finance, but they're not really um, up to date with today's economic downturns and crises, and, and so. They hesitate to handle this, and many of them have not had in their training the counseling theories and techniques. Um, this gives examples and case studies on how to talk with people and how to work with people and how to work with low-income people and how to work with high-income people and wanting to improve their estate planning and, and all those areas. They shy away from it. They, they may say, well, it's grimy to talk about money. Uh, however, that's what they themselves think about all the time. They themselves have these problems. The whole book is written from a fresh approach, using the, the jargon from the, the, the 23rd Psalm. So um, instead of saying getting out of debt, it says uh, uh, out of the snares and thickets of credit. And uh, it, it is comprehensive because it was based on my experience, what are the real issues that people face. I noticed you... Now something has been done for 50 years and then dusted off and presented again, which many of the current books do, but what are the real issues that people are thinking and talking about but have been hesitant to talk to their professional um, financial planner or their clergy or volunteers? 
You say your book provides useful approaches to overcoming addictions and spending. Now, that's an interesting term, addictions and spending. Most of us wouldn't admit to that. Well, and, but, but be sure to add to that, and gambling. Because we, we can, as the current books will say, you know, set up a budget and everything. But if you have an underlying problem of addiction, and there's lots of addictions besides spending and gambling that are wrecking ha- the, the, the budget. And so we need to understand ways to help people with those issues. Now, you also have script- scriptural references woven throughout the chapters. Why did you feel that uh, was a need in your book? This book is transforming. It gives a different orientation. It gives a, a, a spiritual guidance based on faithfulness into finances, and this is what makes the book unique. There are hundreds of personal finance books, but this book is unique in that it combines the scripture, it binds theology, and, for example, one seminary is using it for their pastoral care and counseling, and using it for the, the pastoral theology. In this book, there is a, our new model of what we call theology of finance. This has never been presented or written up before, and this is what gives the person the courage to change. If you ask me why, I think that's necessary. Not only gives them a scripture foundation, but it gives them the courage to change and to be different, and to be in control of their own lives instead of credit or commercialism. And you provide real case studies in each chapter. One thing that might appeal to the professionals and financial service people and, and the clergy is that the case studies and interviews are written by financial planners, social workers, church leaders, extension educators, and people that have had great experience in their situation. For example, there is a chapter on poverty called Not Enough Pasture for the Poor Among Us. And one of the case studies is written by a young man who volunteers with or directs the program with homeless children, homeless youth. And it's written from what we learn from them. This book is unique then. What do we learn from some other people and people who have gone through the decisions of helping their families or parents make a move to a new um, facility. And you'll have to change the housing. So the case studies, one like these example, the estate planning of one couple. People learn better by case studies, I think, and, and it illustrates the points of what they must do. And the case studies, as well as the rest of the text, gives at least the questions to ask the professional they're working with, to ask the questions of the clergy and, and for the, the, the pastors and priests and to ask uh, their parishioners the, the relevant questions for changing their, their financial life. Many may say that this sounds way too technical for me, but you have written this in a real folksy style. Well, when I say folksy, I refer to individuals. These are real-life case studies, um, and so it's, it's, it's more informal that way, but yet, but it is academic. It, it has all the basic uh, technical skills there, and um, with the outline, they can go through and see what they, they need, and uh, the, the professionals and in the, in the clergy and, and leaders will learn uh, themselves as they're helping other people. 
Uh, and when I use, when I say folksy, there's the real stories of people um, and situations. And uh, there are volunteers in this country under several organizations like the Stevens Ministry, and they work with people who are suffering or uh, need to, uh, counseling, but, but they usually don't touch the, the financial issues because they don't feel prepared. Well, this book will prepare them because it makes them feel at home with talking with people about, about their finances. And yet it is based on um, correct, technical, up-to-date information. And you're trying to help the professional, the counselor, the, the uh, clergy to really look at themselves as shepherds in assisting others. Yes, the term shepherd is used throughout because they're guiding people. This book will improve the excellence and the expertise of these shepherds. They don't have to be a complete expert, but they can guide people through, through these issues. Um, so, shepherd is used so that I don't have to say every time. This refers to the pastor, the social worker, the Christian counselor, the mentor, someone that is assisting their own family members with, with finances. So, all these people are shepherds. There's a guide. It's a, it's a, it's a better term to use because the guide will... Give them some paths. Well, give them some alternatives but rather than demanding that they do one way. It gives them a guide. For example, the one chapter on budgeting and spending plan has 14 budgets and spending plans, not just one like your current books have, because there's different situations, there's different personalities and different problems why they need that so they can guide them for which one to use. And then they can help be, them be accountable to them. So a shepherd includes accountability as well as teaching. So a shepherd is a guide, a teacher, counselor, and someone that the person is accountable to in order to improve their lives. What the guide is trying to do is mobilize resources within the individual and within the community. So this is not pointing fingers and say, you got to do this and you got to do that, and this is the only way. A guide then presents several other ways that are unique to the personality and the problem, and they can give the alternative. And it has a model, several models in there for changing one financial situation or resolving a crisis or maximizing their resources. How do you feel about personal bankruptcy? Well, in one of the chapters, you will see a subtitle saying, Bankruptcy is using a cannon to kill a fly. Bankruptcy is not necessary for most people. But what this book does, which many educators don't know, it gives the advantages and the disadvantages of bankruptcy, and it gives the alternatives that you can have and take instead of the bankruptcy measures that people haven't even thought. You see, bankruptcy is pushed in this country. That's how attorneys make a living. They don't give the alternatives. Bankruptcy is filling up for But what this book does is give them the alternatives, get out of debt themselves, handle their 
their situation and become in control of their decisions and they could overcome addictions so that bankruptcy is, is not necessary for most people. But they've not even looked at the alternatives. And the professionals, the clergy and volunteers, Christian counselors, don't even know what the alternatives are. And this book points those out. One of your headings in your chapter says, A balanced life is a blessed life. One, one of the, the themes throughout this whole book is that the economic life is composed of spending, saving, and sharing. And if you don't do all three of these, you get in trouble. You're broken. If one of these things are lacking, you get into trouble if you don't have all three. So the book is showing how to maximize spending, saving, and sharing, and that will give a balance which brings happiness. Give us some closing thoughts, Dr. Williams. What are your, some of your closing thoughts about your book before we find out how to get it? This uh, uh, book is, is a manual on a how-to-do book, but it also inspires people to, to take a, a look at their finances in a different way, and especially when we're forced to in economic downturns and when people lose jobs uh, or can't handle their office politics and things. This gives them... Um, inspiration and, and, and techniques. Um, the, the book is not only educational, it's transformative. It will transform their life and transform them thinking. It will give them courage. And it will give them contentment in a way that this, this balanced life will give contentment and, and happiness. In other words, other books with similar topics may talk about the abundant life, the materialism, or lots of lots of things, the accumulation of wealth for wealth's sake. But this book will show people how to have abundant life in trusting in God's care, love, and provisions. Whether they are rich or poor, it will give them uniqueness in having their finances not dictated by somebody else. Dr. Williams, how do we get your book? have a website that they can see how to order just individual copies from Author House to Publisher or multiple copies from me for, for use of study groups. And my two websites is www.shepherdsguidetofinances.com. It's also, the other name is www.florawilliams.com. And in there, it will explain how they can order them directly from Author www.authorhouse.com, or they can contact me. And I'm sure at your website you have all kinds of information about your book there as well. It has some of the, the details, um, and well, I, I actually have two other books that, that are there that um, are helping people in the renewal of their life, and um, the, a, a spiritual memoir as well as the other books. I, I wrote many books in the past, but these are available now to people. Well, we appreciate you being with us on Author Talk. This has been a, a great opportunity, and I hope people will realize getting the book is an opportunity for excellence and expertise and, and combining personal finance with personal devotion. That was Reverend Dr. Flora Williams. 
She's the author of her book, The Shepherd's Guide Through the Valley of Debt and Financial Change, a comprehensive manual for financial management, counseling, and spiritual guidance. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives? in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Voice of Conscience. And the author is Bajet Kaya. And Bajet joins us now on Author Talk. Hello. Hi. Good to have you with us now. Thanks for having me. I'm going to read just a couple of statements which you have written concerning your book. You say that the voice of conscience is a riveting tale of life, love, and revenge. And it begins in the early 60s in a small village in northeastern Turkey. And you go into the sights and sounds of a culture rich in traditions and history. And then you follow the main character, Istanbul, London, and finally Southern California. So... Why did you write this story, which is a riveting tale of life, love, and revenge? Yes. Um, first of all, I must admit being a late bloomer as a writer. And um, after years of acting and training in theater, I thought that my acting career wasn't going, well, it was going, but it wasn't to my satisfaction. It was kind of stagnant. I was getting jobs, but 
I wanted to do more. So I thought that I will write a screenplay, Voice of Conscience as a screenplay. And um, having a screenplay would put me into a more control of my career. That's how I started writing this book. And then I thought, a screenplay is kind of limited because screenplay, unless the actor expressed what is in the screenplay, that depends on the actor, some actors can't, I wanted to write a book where there are more things, more emotion, more culture I wanted to express. So from screenplay, then I thought that I would write a book. And then when I start writing a book, whoa, was I wrong? <laughs> it was more difficult. So it took me about three and a half years, and end of it is a voice of conscience. From the book, it can, not easily, with a professional, they can write a screenplay from a book, and that could go much better than me writing the screenplay. You were born and raised in Turkey. Yes, sir. And so much of your book, at the beginning anyway, is a look into the culture of Turkey, which you are very proud of. I am indeed. And then actually the, the, the second part of your first question, the motivation that I, wrote, I wanted to write this book was that the country of my birth fascinates people. And rightfully so, because Turkey has a long history with many civilizations enriching its soul. And most Westerners know Turkey, Istanbul, and a couple of minarets, and a mosque, and a Bosphorus. Well, Turkey isn't consist of just that, just Istanbul. There is more. There is more remaining of Turkey is rich with tradition custom civilization. So my motive in that, in my book, I could write some of these customs, especially the place where I was born, northeastern Turkey, I could write and share some of those traditions, particularly of northeastern Turkey with the American people and western people. And at the same time, we've, throughout your <laughs> culture and the traditions, this thought-provoking, memorable, compelling story, a story that's filled uh, even with murder. Yes, yeah, I, I, I wasn't really expecting that this book is going to be like that. You know, I just wanted to write a good book where my readers are enjoy and, you know, and not get bored, and it is not just any other book, but it turned out to be Great book, and I'm so proud of it. So your and, novel is loosely based on your early life experiences, but it's still fiction. Partly because of my early life experiences, uh, it is a fiction. The story and murders and all that are fiction. As a first writer, first time, you know, this is my first novel, I can only write what I know. The... In the novel, you know, where the character starts, where he starts from the northeastern Turkey and goes to all those places, end up in, in the United States, is, is kind of my pattern. My, I did that. I, I just used that 
My remaining of the story is absolutely fiction. So we start out with a young boy named Ramsey? Yes. Ramsey. And he's from this small village in northeastern Turkey, and he has a, a very good family. Tell us about Ramsey, just about he and his family. What kind of a, a family is he a part of? <clears throat> well, Ramsey is a, a small, born and raised in a small village. However, we, when we say small village, small villages in Turkey, they have their own centuries of tradition. I mean, they grew up in a in a, a culture. It is different than our culture here. I mean, it is same but quite different. There are codes. There are things to do. There are things you are not supposed to do. You know. So he was brought up in a culture where you take care of yourself. That is not to say that the Eastern Turkey doesn't have a law, and it is a democracy, it's a country, there is law, there is everything. However, as an individual, as a tradition, the small village totally independent, and they don't wait for a government, somebody else, to look after them. And it is that kind of culture where he was born into and learned and that's where he's coming from. And so he has a very close-knit family? Yes, I would say so. Uh, closeness, for example, in, in a small village, uh, when there is a wedding, a wedding is, uh, is a, a entertainment as well as wedding. You know, two people, matrimony, getting together. But it is not just two people getting married like in the Western society here, we go to church or uh, Justice of the Peace, and in two hours we got married in Las Vegas and come and go to the honeymoon. That is not the way over there. It takes like uh, several days to complete this matrimony. And everybody involved, it is uh, everybody have a part in it, entertainment for them. Even the poor Poor people of the village, they benefit from these, uh, from these activities. So it is, a, it is everybody involved in, in these activities. It's a family net kind of thing. Why is Ramsey's parents and sister murdered? Oh, uh, okay. I don't want to give away the book, but... Uh, Ramsey's father is, a, as one of my reviewers say, he is a radiant man. Like I said, there is a, there is a in these close uh, societies, there is codes that you live by. I mean, what kind of code? Yes, there is law. I mean, if somebody violates you, you in Western world, you leave it to the law. And that's that. Uh, but in these closed societies, there is law, yes. But there is the honor that you have to protect your family. And obviously, Ramsey, Ramsey's father, uh, Oscar Mercier, when he was, um, he was a kind of person that, that 
he traps these outlaws. Uh, I, I don't know, he was equal to an outlaw, but he's not an outlaw. But he was given a job of trapping, capturing outlaws in those times. And then he did one, he captured one of the outlaws. And what he didn't realize that when you capture somebody like that, it's like a Robin Hood. I mean, you rob the rich and pay the poor kind of people, but people take them and mistaken. You know, they, they are, they're still an outlaw, but they do a lot of good things for, their, for the poor people. So he did that, and he didn't realize that, you know, uh, his, the outlaw he captured for the army and his offsprings, you know, didn't, they thought that it's a dishonor for them. Is being murdered that way. That's why he was being murdered. And so Ramsey loses his parents, he loses his sister, his whole family, and he's hauled away somewhere. Um, and it's literally, he doesn't have anything. Nothing. And here's another thing. Again, it is some of the, in the culture, in a society like that, I mean, I, I gotta say, Right now, if that kind of society does not exist in Turkey, but it is still the remnants of the, that culture remain here and there. And so the culture dictates that if somebody came and murdered your parents and your family, you would be next because the logic, logic, that's how they think, this, these people. If you eliminate the, the family, everybody, and you left a little child, he'll grow up and come back and eliminate the enemy. That is the thinking. And that is the plot line of this story. In a way. Plot line, however, it is paranoia. That is not what happened. That is the thinking. So he wonders if he'll be next. He never knows. Absolutely. He'll He's be, always looking over his shoulder, so to speak. All the time. All the time. And he grew up with a fear that he'll be the next. That's why he escaped. He left the country and he left in all these. However, when he grows up and becomes very successful, when you're successful, you have a lot of doors open to you. And then, what will he do? It's a code. It's an honor. You know, if somebody violates you, eye for an eye, nevertheless it exists. You know, it's wrong, but it exists in certain cultures. So does he know who's after him? He thinks he knows. But obviously it must be someone else. Correct. <laughs> it's someone else. Huh? Someone else, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what the drama dramatist, you know. Right. Drama comes in, you know, and if you think about it, most of the comedies all mistaken, right? That's why comedy, great comedies are mistaken. Great dramas are conflicting and also mistaken. You think that your enemy is after you, and you think you're who your enemy is, and you constantly look over your shoulder, but that is not the reality. That is not the truth. An outcome from that, a drama. Does his wife play an important part? Megan, does she play an important part in the story? Yes, it does. Megan actually, 
Megan comes into his life at the right time. Rescue him, I would say, from one emotion to another. You know, he never he has never expressed or ex, um, experienced, experienced a love, a true love. He never did. When you, you find the, the uh, emotion of love from Megan, now he had a conflicting emotion within himself that the main character that it is equally both emotions are strong and he cannot tell anybody he has to keep it to himself and uh, this conflicting emotions that he had one is love megan he has never experienced such a thing emotion and the other one is to uh payback time from his enemies and his own desire to have revenge because of the murder of his parents and sister correct so there's all these yeah like you say these conflicting emotions just tearing him apart tearing me apart is turmoil he he has all of his life turmoil if you read the book uh he actually lived with a what you call it here, traumatic death syndrome. All of his life he lived with that and didn't know. And we have a sequel. Sequel, yes. Uh, but before the sequel, I have another book that I'm planning, which is totally nothing to do with me. So the sequel is about a naval officer. No, the other book, the one that's going to come out first then, uh is about a naval officer, and then there, 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 then you will have a sequel to The yes. Voice of Conscience. Yes. Well, congratulations. Thank that, you. That's, a, that's a, a lot of writing and a lot of creativity. Thank you. Tell us how to get your book. You can get it pretty much from any store, any local store. Uh, you have to order at Barnes & Nobles uh, or Amazon or Author House or Borders, anywhere. Well, Bajet, we appreciate you being on Author Talk. Thank you. That was Bajet Kaya. Right, Bajet Kaya. He is the author of his book, Voice of Conscience. Yeah, the one thing I wanted to say on this uh, interview that... Voice of Conscience really, really suits this book very well. However, most people hear the title, they think that it is a religious or spiritual book. Nothing to do with religion or spirituality. The book, the title, very well suited to the book. Well, thank you again, Bajet. Thank you.